some of these these deals or these episodes in Exodus 32, 33. And I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to Exodus 33 tonight. And I want to minister about honoring the Lord's presence, honoring the Lord's presence. And in Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11. Now, numerous times the word tabernacle is mentioned, so I may abbreviate it and just say tent. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it outside the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation outside of the camp. It came to pass when Moses went out to the tent that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tent, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tent and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tent door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again unto the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tent. Come on, let's, let's sing this song of prayer. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. For you, honoring his presence. We know from the preceding chapter that the children of Israel had committed a great sin in building the golden calf. God had called Moses to the top of the mountain while he was up there for some six weeks receiving the symbols and illustrations and the pattern of the tabernacle. The children of Israel became impatient and they went to Moses' brother and asked him to build for them a God that they could see, one that was visible. They had no idea what had happened to Moses and in their distress wanted something that they could touch and handle. Of course, the Lord spoke to Moses and told him to descend. And when he did, he found all of his kinsmen dancing around a golden calf that had been fashioned by his own brother. Upon which Moses basically drew a line in the sand and asked the question, who is on the Lord's side? And a number of them came over to where he was. But there were a good many people stayed on the other side and because of judgment, lost their lives. This sin was so great that at the end of chapter 32, going into the beginning of chapter 33, 
The Lord told Moses, you take these people and lead them. My angel will go before you to drive out your enemies. But know this, my presence will not be in your midst. Now think about that. That God would say to them, I'm sending my angel to yet fight for you. But I'm not going to be in your midst. That's what he told them. Well, Moses related that to the people. The people with a humble and repentant spirit removed their ornaments, laid before the Lord, cried out to God. Because I think that's what anybody should do when they're in sin. The only way to get right with God, the only way to return to God is to repent. It's not a matter of you just saying, well, God to get over it. He'll forget it. It's not about that. If there's an issue between you and God, if there's a gulf or chasm or sin separating you from his presence, that calf has to be dealt with. And anything in your life that becomes an idol that causes your life to circulate around that thing to such degree that it requires so much of your time, your energy, your resources, and you've got to think again about what it is in your life that you actually are worshiping. Moses, the scripture says in verse number seven, he took the tabernacle and he put it outside the camp. Now, here's a man that craved the presence of God. And despite Israel's sin and despite what his brother did this man was not interested in moving away from God. He wanted to draw closer to God. What was this tabernacle? This was not the tabernacle that Moses had received on the mountaintop. So not that one. Because Moses even had the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments. And when he descended, he even broke the tables of stone in anger. It couldn't have been the larger tabernacle because the Levites were required to build it and carry it, not Moses. So this was a tent. This was a structure that was a pre-tabernacle or the house of God. And he took it far away from where the children of Israel was because he knew that the congregation needed a place in which God could dwell and communicate with them. And I'm going to tell you right now, the one thing any of us do not want is to be cut off with God. And we certainly don't want him to cut off communications with us. Be terrible to try to do church without God, without his presence. I don't know how far Moses went. I don't know if he went a hundred yards or half a mile. have no idea. But I know that his mind was made up in that little tent. He called it the tabernacle of the congregation. Pastor, how do you know this wasn't the big tabernacle? Because Joshua remained in it, as it says at the end of verse 11. And Joshua was not a priest. Was not a priest. Neither was Moses. But yet, this was the house that was a representation of the king. And I I want you to know that every tent, every church, every house that is built should be dedicated to seeking God. And you can see in verse one, it says it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went to the tabernacle of congregation. Why do we come to church to hear from God, to seek God? 
I understand we're the church. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not a physical structure. When we come into this place, he's here. But I want you to understand that when physical structures are made or used and dedicated to God, those physical structures are for seeking God and him only. No other reason. Nobody went to the tent of the congregation or to the tabernacle of the Lord and played Hittite music. They didn't go there to worship Baal. They went there to worship God. And it's important. So the the church then should be centrally focused on who God is and how to lift him up amongst the people. Not a calf, only God. And that presence has to be revered. The presence of God has to be honored. It certainly has to be cultivated because an atmosphere has to be created in a church in which Christ can be worshipped and magnified. Do you understand that the wrong kind of music won't bring the presence of God but could drive it away? If we brought in secular music, it's not going to have the same effect for worship. As glorifying God in some hymns as we did this evening. Yeah. Had a funeral one time I had to do. And as is my custom, I'll go to the funeral home, sit down with the mortician and the family that's grieving and explain how we do funerals, the kind of funerals that I do, along with ministering to the family because they're hurting. And so I went through all of that and. They were quite happy and pleased. And a couple of days later, or maybe a day later, I went down to the church just to see how some of the things were coming along as they were making preparations. And I walked through the door and there's a person on the piano. There's a lady playing, lady singing a song. And instantly when I heard the song, I knew it was not the gospel. It's a secular song. And so I went and... I explained to her, I said, well, you know, we don't do that kind of a thing here. It needs to be gospel music that lifts up the king if it's here in this particular sanctuary. And so she said, well, this is what the family wants and uh, uh, this is what the family is going to get. I said, no, I don't think you understand. You won't be singing that song at the funeral that I'm officiating at. Well, she said, well, if you don't let me sing this song, you're right in the middle of trying to build this church and it's just not going to be a church if you're going to be like that. Then I said, it won't be a church if it's going to be like that, but it will be a place where Jesus is magnified. I never changed, you see, never changed. When Moses put the tabernacle far away from the camp, The scripture is very clear that the people went and sought the Lord out of the tabernacle of congregation. People come to church because they they want the presence of God. If they're Christian, sinners don't know what they want. But I'm telling you right now, when you come to the house of God, if a person is addicted to crack or meth or PCP or heroin or cocaine in the house of God, in a moment, the presence of God can bring deliverance just like that. I realize they've got all kinds of. Alcohol unanimouses and all these different things that people go through and everything. But I'm telling you that there's a power of God that can set the captive free and it still works. 
I still believe that people can kneel down and have some saints around them laying hands on them. And if out of an earnest heart, they pray God can break the chains and yokes of bondage. Come to the house of God to seek the Lord. And even though verse seven says they took that tabernacle and took it far from the camp. I don't think there was anybody that ever said, Moses, why did you put it so far away from us? You should be willing to travel as far as you need to travel to be with saints of God. There are people that travel hours every week with tickets at a Husker game or Chiefs game and never complain at all about driving for hours. But then if it comes to church, they say, oh, my goodness, there's no way I could do church outside of my community. I can't drive more than 20 minutes to go to the house of God. You could if you crave the presence of God. You could if the presence of God was real in your life. And in coming in contact with other people that are carriers of the glory of God, you'll want to be around them. I wouldn't go down the street just to say that I went to church, but to go where I know people love God, where the anointing of the Lord is present on people. I'd crawl across glass to get to a place like that. The people that sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle. The scripture says when Moses went out, the people stood up in their tent door. You may think sometimes people are not paying attention to you, but they are. These folks knew every time they saw the man of God leaving the camp, making that journey to the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they knew when he went, don't you know your neighbors know if you go to church or don't go? Yeah. I guarantee your neighbors can tell you when you leave to go to church because it's a habit in your life. They understand it, but they can also point out the other people on the block that don't go. So when you make your trip to the tabernacle to worship and to praise and to glorify God, know that there are other people paying attention to your departure as well as your arrival sometimes. Now, they're fellow Christians then they're probably going to do like you do. They're going to worship God also. They may be going to their own places. A handful of them may truly be believers, but not go anywhere. But even that's not going to last too long because every Christian from Acts to the book of Revelation had a family that they fellowshiped with, had somebody to call pastor. So Moses went out and everybody stood And they looked until he went inside. And then you can see in verse 9, once he entered into the tabernacle, that's when the pillar descended. That cloud came. So there's something wonderful about going to the house of God. I think that this is something that really has been lost in the last few decades. In this world today of a a school-driven life rather than a church-centered life. It was common in the 60s and early 70s for there to be Sunday morning service, worship. Sunday evening service, the evangelistic service. A Tuesday prayer and praise time where people who were home during the day would get together. 
Wednesday night, midweek service, Thursday service, just for praying for the sick. Then Friday, sometimes a prayer meeting, Saturday people were off, and then of course Sunday, right back doing it again. But you know how difficult it would be to get people in the house of God more than two or three times a week nowadays? The wrestling coach wouldn't let it happen. All of these things are pushing upon the believer and the Christians, and we need to know that it's in the house of God where we can find God's presence when we come together collectively. He'll talk to us. And it's important to know that our goals and our objectives should be just that, to see God. Moses went to the tabernacle with an expectation that God would come to him and speak to him. How many of us really come to church thinking God might say something to me tonight? Who genuinely comes to church thinking that I do have something to bring to God this evening as a gift? I have a praise for you, Lord, and I'm going to give it to you in front of everybody. I'm going to present it to you despite who's to my left or to my right or in front of me or behind me. Lord, I'm bringing my gift to you tonight and I want to glorify you. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Praise should be in every one of our lips. And, and it, it should be something that we give to God. And you don't ever want to be the kind of person who comes to the tabernacle of congregation without anything to give to God. I don't, I don't understand that. Why go to the house of God if you're not willing to worship this God? If he's redeemed you. If he's secured your salvation and washed you from all of your sins, why not worship a God like that? The tabernacle. And once Moses entered, the scripture says in verse 9, that is when the Lord descended. What does that mean? That means God sees and waits for us to show interest in him. And when we show interest in him, he shows interest in us. Now, I know the book says before we loved him, he loved us. But I'm telling you, when it comes to prayer, you draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. And this is what happened with Moses. He stepped into that tabernacle and the glory of God descended in that place. And those folks watched. Jesus prayed on the mountaintop and he was transfigured. And the disciples woke up and wiped the sleep out of their eyes and just couldn't believe that Elijah, Moses, standing on that mountaintop with Jesus. They knew spiritually who was on that mountain with him. Peter was in jail. The disciples got together and prayed in John Mark's mother's house. And the Bible says an angel descended in that prison and opened up the jail cells and let Peter out. Peter came and knocked on the door. And a little lady named Rhoda came and she pulled back the little thing, said, who is it? Peter said, it's me, Rhoda, let me in. She said, whoo, and she didn't believe it. She ran back in. She said, I'm telling you, Peter is on the outside. Them folks are still praying. They didn't even believe that God had opened up the door and let that man out. And here he is now, the answer to their prayer, standing in their midst. You draw nigh unto God, and you'll never know what God will do for you. So I think when it comes to praying, we really do need to get back in our lives to where we pray through. 
Talk to God. Pray till we get an answer. Not just pray one time. Pray until God moves. Pray until there's an assurance and a conviction in our heart that God has said, I am going to do this for you. Instead of just praying these little prayers where we just wish it up into the air and hope that maybe something will happen. This man went into the tabernacle and the cloud of God descended and stood at the door of that. That's a remarkable Thing Maybe you've had experiences like that in prayer. And, and I don't doubt that all of us have had those moments where in talking with God, his presence seems so real. And, and it's it's so pervasive that you feel like you could just reach out and touch his hand. Or maybe you felt like the Lord has put his hands on your shoulder at different times. Or you begin to pray and in his presence, you find yourself weeping or you find yourself laughing. Because his presence is real. Yeah. But when that glory descends, it's, it's a remarkable thing. It's and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. We want to hear his voice. Now, God speaks through his word. I, I know that if someone were to say to me, Daryl, how does God or how has the Lord led you? I probably would say to them. 97% of the times in my life when I've done anything, it has been from me reading the word and God showing me something. But there have been some startling incidents and some remarkable answers to prayer that have not been outside of the word of God, but certainly based on the word of God that other people would never be able to explain. I know that. When I left Saudi Arabia in the summer of 1992, just before I left, I had a dream. And in that dream, I saw myself talking to a Marine. And I told that Marine, you're running from God. And God is calling you back to him. Then I woke up. I went home on vacation Then left Ohio, flew to Istanbul, Turkey. And in Istanbul, Turkey, the Marines picked me up that night. It was a detachment of seven Marines. And when they all came out to get me, two were still on duty. Five were there in that vehicle. And there was no one that I saw that looked like the one in that dream. Well, we all had a good time. They welcomed me and we laughed, had fun. Went to sleep, woke up the next morning, went down into the kitchen. The cook was down there making some food. And then a gentleman comes down the stairs and he comes walking through the doorway and he's six foot six. He's about 250 pounds, nothing but muscle. His name was Kevin Howie. When I saw him, I knew who he was immediately. And in the kitchen, I walked right up to him, put my finger right in his face. And I said, God showed me. It's your backslidden and running from him, and he wants you to return to him right now. In that kitchen, he fell on his knees, cried out to God, got restored to the king. The presence of God in a kitchen? Yes. Yes. Some days later, I was up in my bedroom praying. And while I was praying, I felt the burden of the Lord to go into his bedroom and pray for him. 
And I, and I felt like the king was telling me, go pray for him. He wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I went to his room, laid hands on him. The power of God descended. In a few seconds, he began to speak with another language. A few seconds. God in a bedroom? Yeah. The house that we lived in had five floors. Down in the basement had a big gym. Outside had a beautiful swimming pool and then bedrooms stacked all over the place. And for my first period there, since I was in charge of these Marines and Marines can't always be trusted to come in at curfew time. I chose the bedroom that was right on the first floor so that anybody going to any other bedroom or coming out of a bedroom going down had to come past my bedroom so I'd know who's coming or leaving. If they were doing anything they weren't supposed to be doing. One night I was in that room and I just got to praying, walking the floor, talking to the king, asking God to bless and to help and help me lead these Marines to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I mean, I prayed so long. This was after midnight, fell asleep on the floor, but I was still praying as I fell asleep. Well, the next day, one of the Marines had come to me and they said, well, what was going on in your room last night? I said nothing. I had uh, just prayed and fell asleep. I didn't tell them that I had had a vision. That's what had happened. I'd fallen asleep. And had a vision, just like in the book of Acts, where it, it talks about uh, Paul having a vision of the Lord coming to him. So I, I told him nothing, nothing really at all. I just prayed and, and went to sleep. I said, why do you ask? They said, because we came in late last night and came tiptoeing by this door and said it looked to us like there was a cloud and some smoke coming out from under your door. And we saw flashes of lightning in your room. Well, I never told them anything about what I just told you. I just told them I was praying. I'm telling you, exciting things happen when you pray. You'll never know what God will do until you pray. But I will tell you this. If you don't pray, then you don't have to expect God to do anything at all. But it's exciting. God made it exciting to be young. God made it exciting to be old. God made it exciting to pray. And when we take the time to talk to the Lord and enter into his house, We can expect him to come. But again, we are the house of God. How serious are you about being the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you really believe that your body is the habitation of God? Do you honestly believe that there is something God wants to do in you that is greater than just saving you from your sin? Don't you understand that he not only wants to justify you, but he also wants to sanctify you? That is to say, he wants you to take up the cross. He wants to put you to death. So that as that old man in your life dies, the resurrected Christ in you begins to live. And the more of him that lives in you and through you, the greater the presence of God will be in your life. I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. We have to die to self. Die to the world, die to the flesh, the devil, and ask God to use us. Well, verse 11 says the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Verse 10 tells us when the people themselves saw the cloud because it was visible, they rose up and worshiped every man in his tent. It's an individual personal relationship with God. 
Randy can't worship God for me. I can't worship God for Elsa. It's an individual thing in our own tent door. We have to know him personally, have a strong, vibrant relationship with him. And when you worship God, just like with Moses, other people see what you're doing. Yeah. One of my spiritual fathers is a gentleman named A.R. Trotter. He's in his 90s now, but a man of God. And his dad, like him, was a great camp meeting preacher for many years with Assemblies of God. And I don't have any idea how many district camp meetings and state camp meetings and all of these things he may have preached. But I do know Brother Trotter would send me over the past couple of decades, one tape after another of his father from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Not listen to those messages just thinking, oh, my goodness, Father, we need your presence. We need your anointing. We need your touch. Oh, God. Well, in one story, his dad tells, and I think I can still remember the bare outline of it. His dad had gone to some camp meeting and he had just come out of a number of long extended meetings. So, of course, when you get to camp meeting, you're tired, but it's filled with believers, filled with preachers. And so the, the, the man who was directing the camp, he had then called for people to come down to the altar. And he said, this father said, A.N. Trotter said he was just tired, came down there in that altar and, and just basically was there just saying, God, I need you to do a work in my life. And Brother Trotter stood on one side of that altar and had his hands lifted up and crying out to God. But he he said he felt like his praise in his mouth was like cotton. He said it felt like his praise were going up just a few feet and falling flat. He wasn't sensing anything. He wasn't feeling anything. But he stopped and he looked on the other side. And he saw another gentleman, man that he knew, who also was a preacher. And he said that man was on way on the far side of that altar. He had his hands lifted up. He was weeping and crying and said it looked like the glory of God on his face, like it was on Moses. And it came out of the presence of the king. And Brother Trotter said, oh, God, give me, do for me what you're doing for my brother on the other side of that altar. And he said he threw his hands back up and started praising God despite how he felt and worshiped and prayed through and praised through. Well, he he kept telling that story as he traveled. And one time he was telling that story and the gentleman who was on the other side of the altar he was in that meeting and he said, well, let me come to you and tell you the other side of the story. He said, I'd just come out of some long extended meetings myself when ministry was tiresome. I was exhausted. Everything seemed tedious. And I drug my little weary body here into this camp meeting. And when the, the man called for the altar call, he said, I came down here and he said, I started trying to praise God. And he said, I got nowhere. There was nothing happening at all in my life. I felt like there was a veil of flesh between myself and God. But he said, at some point I stopped and I was just tired. I dropped my hands because it felt like there were weights on my arms. And he said, I looked on the other side and I saw you. And he said, you had your hands up worshiping God, weeping and crying. And I said, oh, God, give me what you're giving, Brother Trotter, right now. And he said, I threw my hands back up and began to worship and praise you. 
Folks, you'll never know who's watching you when you worship God. You'll never know who's praising God because they see you praising God. Moses went into the tabernacle of the congregation. The people stood in their tent door. They saw the cloud descend. They fell down and started worshiping. Your worship can inspire somebody else's. But your lack of worship will be copied, too. Yeah. Little kids will do what we do. When they see us as adults laying before God, on our knees before God, when little kids listen to the words coming out of your mouth, they'll imitate what they hear you pray. I've taken many kids during the services when they were little and held them up as I walked around doing worship service. And then I turned them around. I said, look at the people in that congregation. See how they're lifting their hands, worshiping God. And them little toddlers lift them hands up just like they see all the adults do. They'll do what they see people doing. But if you don't do anything, they'll imitate that also. If you're cold and dead, they'll imitate that. So don't ever forget that when you come out here and you worship and praise God, there may be someone watching. You get a visitor that comes in here. Visitors typically stand around and just look at everybody in the congregation anyhow. Because if they know people from the community, they're looking to see whether or not these folks are really real. Whether or not these people really know God. But then you, you get to singing and you sing with joy and excitement. There's a difference because you know how to honor and revere the presence of God. We've all been to enough dead church services in our lives to know that there's no anointing, no presence of God. That I mean, they got a six foot tall icicle standing up there preaching to a cold refrigerated church. Prisoners come through the back door. Somebody could stand there and pass out ice skates as everybody's coming in. We know that. But but I am telling you that there's a presence of God that is so real that when you get in there, you don't ever want to leave. I've been in services where people were singing and the song service was going on. And really, all I wanted to do was just sit up against the wall and just have them sing for the next six hours. I never wanted to move. I've been in prayer meetings where the power of God was so real in that place that that I just stopped praying. All I wanted to do was just sit there and listen as that holy rumble was going around in that place. You know, wife and I've been in meetings with over 900 ministers, 1200 ministers, 6 a.m. in the morning, 5 a.m. in the morning. And they're all laying before God, crying out to God, saying, oh, God, do a work in my life. Yeah. Honoring the presence of God, because when God begins to move and that spirit is there, that's not the time to be disrespectful. That's the time to say, Lord, what are you saying to me? And who knows what will happen when the presence of God truly descends in his house? Finishing up with verse 11, God talked to this man like he spoke to a friend. Moses put that tabernacle far away from the camp of Israel because the Lord wasn't necessarily on the friendliest terms with them. But God had a man by the name of Moses that wanted to draw near to him. And when Moses finally left the tent, you can see in verse 11, Joshua, the son of Nun, he did not depart out of that tent. Why didn't he leave? There was such a presence of God there. Even when Moses got up to depart, Joshua 
said, sir, I'd just like to linger here a little bit longer. Yeah. I've had people say to me sometimes, Pastor, do you mind if I just take the key and go down to the church and just spend a little time with God all by myself? I say, have at it. Have at it. I've seen it where everybody leaves the church, but then there's a few people just say, Pastor, all I want to do is just stay in here and lay on my face in the presence of God and pray for my kids or my grandkids. Do you mind if I do that? I say, pray all night, do everything you want to do in talking with God. But sometimes there's something in us, it's almost like an umbilical cord attached to the to the Lord. And all we want to do is just spend time with him. Joshua said, Moses, you can go, but I'm staying right here in this presence because I sense something. I don't sense when I go back to my tent. And I don't want to lose that. So this evening. When we think about God. We think about that presence tonight. Surely we know. He's with us. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, why don't we just spend a few moments praising and praying, praising and praying. You say, Pastor, what am I praising God for? Surely you have something to praise God for. What am I praying for? Surely you have something to pray for. And just for a few moments, as there's the little music being played in the background, we'll just love on the king and bless his name. Heavenly Father.